0: All right, good morning. It's good to be with you. That was just to give you a glimpse of what happened at Camp Kids Praise uh, this past week. Our kids team has been busy this summer investing in our children for the next generation. It's fantastic. I do want to bring your attention, men, to our men's conference, August the 25th and 26th uh, coming up. I think you can sign up online for that. Uh, I've heard about the possibility of them giving away a golf cart I don't know what I would do with a golf cart if I own one. But um, also, but here, here's the thing there will be a steak dinner. So you like steak. That's good enough. Sign up and come join us. Great lineup of speakers to encourage you for a men's conference coming up and later in in August. We'll be in Daniel chapter 6 this this morning, continuing our series in the book of Daniel, Thriving in Babylon. How are we to live um, faithful to God in the midst of a culture that feels foreign to us uh, a lot of the times? This morning, if I were to ask you, um, who, who is the greatest baseball player of all time, what would you say? In this room, maybe some of the the greats would come to mind. Uh, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Joe Jackson, Ted Williams. Uh, The list could go on, Mickey Mantle, uh, Joe DiMaggio, Willie May, Sandy Koufax, Stan Musial, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, Roberto Clemente. I'm a Reds fan, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, King Griffey Jr. In the middle service, somebody said Barry Bonds, and it kind of got a mixed reaction in the room. I see a Braves journey jersey, so I, I feel like someone's going to start yelling, Chipper Jones, man, or Greg Maddox. Uh, I, I hear Dale Murphy. I should have been in the Hall of Fame, man. And this could go on and on and on. The name that probably came to some of your minds, but maybe not too many, would be one who came to be known as the Iron Man, and that's not Robert Downey Jr., um, he, he played for the Baltimore Orioles uh, first as a shortstop and then as a third baseman. Listen, 3,184 hits. He played for 21 years, 19 of which he was an all-star. Um, he was elected to the Hall of Fame on his first ballot at 98.5% of the vote. You got it yet? Anybody? Cal Ripken Jr., yeah. And I haven't even named the mark he left on the game. It is this. This man played in 2,632 consecutive games of baseball. For 17 years, he did not miss a game. The previous record was held by Lou Gehrig, but Ripken Jr. broke it by over 500 games. Now, when we think about him and his career, we might credit, well, he was blessed with good genetics. Well, sure. He was fortunate not to be injured. Of course. We could talk about his drive, his dedication, his training, all of those things. Absolutely. Yes. But in his own words, Ripken said this, you can't always get the game winning catch or make the game winning hit. It's everything you do in between consistency. The power of consistency is what we're talking about today in Daniel chapter 6. And in the Bible, except for Jesus himself, perhaps no one exemplifies the power of consistency more than Daniel. Uh, Daniel was just a young man when in 605 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded Judah and he was hauled away as an exile to a foreign land with a false religion under a formidable king. The odds were always stacked against Daniel and yet as we've discovered in this book so far Daniel and his friends over and over and over again choose to be faithful to God and they resist the ways of Babylon Daniel's courage and his consistency seem remarkable to us and and they are especially when we consider the context uh, the, the situation of Daniel's life you, you see God himself actually allowed the Babylonians to be an instrument of his judgment of his discipline on his people. And yet in the midst of that discipline, in the midst of that judgment, God was determined to preserve a people, to save a people for himself. And in this particular spot in history, God preserves a people for himself by protecting Daniel, who was faithful. So in the book of Daniel, we see these two sort of great themes merging together. On the one hand, there is God's always and forever faithfulness to his people. On the other hand, there is God's call for his people to be faithful to him. And in Daniel, these two things meet together. The book of Daniel intertwines these things. And in this book, God protects Daniel and he protects his friends by honoring their faithfulness to him. As we've learned in the book so far, God just gives Daniel skills and he gives him influence so that God so that Daniel's time in exile was actually like a missionary thing. God was made known in Babylon through 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 Daniel. So while Daniel was exiled from his homeland, he was exiled for God's purpose and to the glory of God's name. That's what's going on in Daniel. And in chapter six, we encounter really one of the famous stories uh, in, in Scripture. At this point, Daniel is, is getting older. Um, he's still in Babylon, but Babylon is very much in a time of transition. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar is out of the picture. Uh, the kingdom had fallen to his son, Belshazzar, who was killed. And now a man named Darius comes to power. So, so serving now under his third king, Daniel's reputation remains really strong. He's still the best man in the land. So when Darius set up his government, he made Daniel one of the three highest officials but soon Daniel outpaced the other two and Darius kind of just put Daniel in charge of well everything well obviously this conjured some jealousy among the the other officials and so they set for Daniel a trap it this is a classic story we'll pick it up at Daniel 6 I will read the entire chapter and then sort of step away and make some observations Daniel chapter 6 It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel until we find it, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes this petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, Then the king was exceedingly glad and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God and the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven, in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you this morning that you are not the God who stays silent and hidden. You are the God who speaks and shows. You proved yourself faithful to Daniel You have proven yourself faithful to us. Just as you rescued Daniel from death in a den, you saved your son from death in a tomb. You promised to save all who will believe. We're listening today, Lord. Speak to us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Daniel 6 really is one of those like high noon showdown moments. On one hand, there is Daniel who's faithful to God, who's an upstanding citizen, who's given basically his whole life, his servants, his service, his talents, his skills. He's given these things for the prosperity of a country that isn't even his. He's blameless. On the other side, there are these satraps. And they're kind of jealous of Daniel. And the only th- way, thing they know to do is try to set a trap for him concerning his convictions, his religious convictions, his deep commitment to his God. And so they, they do just that. They set this, this, set this trap to him they, for him. They convinced Darius to solidify his power by making this declaration that no one should uh, make any petitions to, to anything except Darius for 30 days on pain of being cast into a den of lions. And yet, like totally unbothered, Daniel just goes back to his house, up to his room. Windows are open facing Jerusalem and prays to his God three times a day. Over and over again, as we read the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel is just, he's just a model of consistency and courage. The dude simply doesn't flinch ever. When he was young and first brought to Babylon he refused to to eat the king's food and instead ate only vegetables and and turned out to be more healthy than anybody. Later on King Nebuchadnezzar was having these terrifying dreams and he threatened to dismember his own wizards if they could not interpret the dreams. And Daniel stepped right up. All right, King Nebuchadnezzar I'll interpret the dreams for you and you're not going to like what I have to say. This is this is just Daniel. In this book, every time Daniel makes a really bold move for God, God protects him. God delivers him immediately. Now, the mistake that we might make is, is to think to ourselves, well, hmm, if God immediately and miraculously delivered Daniel in the moment He acted courageously. Great. The more courageous I act for God, the more protection I will have from God. This is perfect. Let's go, right? Hold up for a second. Nowhere does the book of Daniel or the Bible tell you that God will immediately deliver you from every threat for your courageous moves. Think of the history of the Christian faith. Think of what we saw in the book of Acts when we were traveling through it. The way that the gospel went out through the bold witness of the apostles, but how that was mingled with suffering, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, Deaths. In fact, the, the Christian story is really the story of the gospel going out and continuing, and God building his church through tragedy and suffering. In, in the 1950s, Jim Elliott believed that God had called him to take the gospel to these people in Ecuador, and he goes, he shows up on the beach, and he's met by warriors who kill him with a spear. Just, just two weeks ago, my son and I uh, went to... Uh, Went to a cabin. We met some old friends, another dad and his son, uh, to hang out. We've done a lot of life together, but it's been a couple years since we had seen each other. And just hiking, just doing the things you do up around the Blue Ridge. And, and their story, man, um, my friend had had a really good career going in the Air Force. And yet he, he stepped away from that career so that he and his wife could take a missionary appointment to a closed country in Asia for four years. For four years, they threw themselves into learning the language, laying foundations, laboring in the gospel. And then out of nowhere, there was was a data breach, their identities were compromised, and they had to be yanked out of that country, uprooting their family again. Man. So these scenarios, like you can read about the apostles, you can read about the Elliot's, you can read about my friend Brian, These scenarios don't go the way we think they should go. That doesn't mean they were defeats. God uses all of those things. But when we we read Daniel's case, Daniel's case just seems to be unique. Like, God just delivered Daniel immediately, unscathed, every time. Well, this is because Daniel fills a unique role in God's plan. If you rewind back to Genesis, God tells Abraham, I will make you a great people. If you then fast forward to the New Testament, and even now we know that God is gathering a great people unto himself in Jesus, and yet there's a specific redemptive history where God is saving a people for himself, and here that plan centers on Daniel, and in this way, Daniel points us to Jesus. We should probably not draw a line directly from Daniel to us and assume that everything that happened to Daniel will happen to us if I just act like Daniel. That's probably the wrong way to read the story. The right way to read the story is to think Daniel's righteousness, Daniel's faithfulness, Daniel's courage, Daniel's deliverance points to Jesus. Jesus who was ultimately and finally courageous. Jesus was the one who faced every threat, who always remained faithful, who who suffered every loss and was delivered when God raised him from the dead. So Daniel's consistent courage points us to Christ's final courage. And so we can think about courage from the gospel of Jesus. Why can't I step out and take risks for God? It's not because I think, well, every time I do this, God's going to do those things. It's because Jesus has already won every battle on my Shut up, Siri because Jesus has already won every battle on my behalf, right? The ultimate issues are settled. I can be courageous because in Jesus, I've already lost everything. I've already been condemned as a sinner, right? But in Jesus, I've already gained everything. I've already been delivered. I will be delivered. That's how we have to think about courage. Daniel points us to Jesus, which circles back to us. But that doesn't mean there aren't practical things to learn here. There are practical things to learn here. And the first thing practically that we can learn when we look at Daniel's life is that his consistency and courage flows from his consistency in his habits, Of course, when we read this story, it looks like the king's edict leaves Daniel in a really tough spot. But there is no indication in the text that Daniel was ever bothered by this at all. He heard the news, went to his room when the windows faced Jerusalem, and prayed openly. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Now, we might look at Daniel and say, wow, man, that's bold. Or, dude, you're, you're sort of forcing the issue here, but that's actually not the case at all. The kings changed. The policy changed. But Daniel didn't change. Daniel just kept doing the things he had always been doing. Daniel was able to meet the high moment because of his consistency in the low moments. Daniel was able to pray when the pressure was on because he had been praying when the pressure was off. We have to learn to embrace habit building for our spiritual formation. Look, we we know this, right? Steph Curry did not stumble on an unbelievable jump shot. Serena Williams got up every morning at 6 o'clock to hit tennis balls. There is a reason my son is the world's best player in Mario Kart, right? (laughs) These things are in direct proportion to our investment, and the same is true for our spiritual formation. Eugene Peterson is a pastor, and he passed away some years ago. He's a pastor. He wrote this book some 40 years ago, a fascinating book I'd recommend to you on discipleship. And the title of the book really says it all. He defines discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Allow me, if you will, to read a little bit from that book. And if you're listening closely, you'll catch where Peterson got that phrase and it might surprise you. Peterson writes, Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church, for others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and, and sacred diversion, plan their lives around special events like retreats, or rallies, conferences. The persons whom I lead in worship, among whom I counsel, visit, pray, preach, and teach, they want shortcuts. They want me to help them fill out the form that will get them instant credit in eternity. They are impatient for results. They have adopted the lifestyle of a tourist and only want the high points. And he says this really personally. But a pastor is not a tour guide. The Christian life cannot mature under such conditions and in such ways. Frederick Nietzsche, who saw this area of spiritual truth, at least with great clarity, wrote, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. That thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which makes life worth living you must embrace the long slow shape of spiritual formation there are no shortcuts on this journey with jesus sure our home is heaven but our life is a sojourn through a foreign land and keeping the ways of god will require developing habits so deep that they become second nature and then to you sacred rhythms and we can just name a few right bible intake and prayer and gathering with God's people for worship and practicing hospitality and serving the ministry and loving our neighbors, these are the things that God's people will keep doing no matter what changes because God's people have simply always done them, right? This is what it means to develop courage coming up from our habits. Habit formation is critical to your stability as a Christian believer. Habit formation will give you life, a wellspring. Now, I'm not talking about, well, if I do these things for God, then I'm going to be, no, no, no. We're doing this from the truth of the gospel. This is an act of worship. Why do I read my Bible and gather and pray and do all of these things? It's to honor God who's given everything for me. So embrace the power of spiritual formation in your lives. And you know what? You have the best of reasons to do this. You have the greatest motivation. Daniel's consistency and his courage was drawn from his habits, but why would he develop those habits? He would develop those habits because he was consistent in trusting God. He's a model of consistency and trust. Now, we know how this story plays out. Darius does not want to throw Daniel to the lion's den, but he can't find a way out. Darius is really distressed. He can't sleep. The trap that was apparently set for Daniel really put Darius in a trap. Darius is the one who's distressed. Daniel wasn't disturbed at all. Daniel wasn't under pressure. Darius was. Daniel is calm. Darius is quaking. God delivers Daniel, and in so doing, he relieves Darius, and in so doing, the worship of the one true God, breaks out. I mean, look at, look at chapter 6, verse 23. It says, the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. The big question that hangs over the Bible and the big question that hangs over our lives is not whether or not God exists. That's not the question. The question is, can he be trusted? Is he trustworthy? And Daniel learned that he could trust God because God had proven himself trustworthy. Sometimes you hear faith defined as a leap in the dark that's a lie it's not true at all faith is trust faith is believing god faith is taking god as at his word and banking everything on that It is believing that if God raised Jesus from the dead, then there is no scenario in which God will not finally win. He promised to raise Jesus, and he did. He promises to to return to make things new and to make things right, and he will. He may not deliver me instantly from my every scenario or trial or hardship, but if I am in Christ, since he did in fact deliver Jesus in the end, he will certainly deliver me in the end because he cannot lose. He can't lose. So yeah, trust God with your struggles. Trust God in those moments that require courage. Trust him in all of those scenarios, but mostly trust him with you, your soul, your very person, your, your, your being. Your creator loves you. Jesus died and rose again for you. So our trust in God should be the given. How could I not trust this God? It makes us think about what our next steps in trust might be. And and the the church of the ages has has embraced like this one act of uh, public declaration of trust where while we're plunged under the water as condemned sinners and raised up to walk in newness of life, baptism is a declaration of faith, trust in God. It could be your next step. Maybe your next step is like really to think about this, this life of Daniel and, and take these cues, take these cues from him and And realize, just just because I'm not Daniel doesn't mean I shouldn't be courageous. The same spirit that guided Daniel lives in me. God has promised to be with us. Jesus said, I'm with you to the end of the age, so we keep courageously doing the work of the gospel because it's a habit forged in our souls because we really trust in our God. We really believe him. It, It can be like... Trying, at least making the bold move to keep your character in competitive business environments. Maybe it's maintaining integrity in a school setting. Maybe it's seizing up opportunities the upstate church gives. Maybe it's Cuba, Alaska. Maybe it's like hammering roofs in New Orleans in July. I don't know about you. When I first saw that announcement, I thought, what? What?" But yeah, we do these things because we trust our God. It it could be like even as simple as saying to someone, hey, would you think about going to church with me Sunday? I'll meet you in the parking lot. We can sit in the back. If you're not comfortable, you can leave. Would you just think about coming to church with me? And why do we do these things? Because we've always been doing them. Because we trust our God enough to do them. Those are the roots of courage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you can lead us to be courageous because one has been courageous for us. We thank you today that just as you rescued Daniel from certain death, you raised up Jesus from the dead. And Lord, we know that you are victorious and you share your victory with all who will believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lead us to trust you more. Amen.